Hello and welcome to Vashling Writing. I'm Daystyle. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 56, Species in Fiction. Yeah. Different from races. Well, <laughs> yes, yes and no. Unless um, the author wants them not to be. Yeah, unless the author wants them not to be, and a lot of a lot of fantasy fiction, especially, will just say race, like the race of mm-hmm. men or the mm-hmm. race of elves, and in some cases, like scientifically, the, the distinction is usually about breedability. Mm-hmm. Like the distinction of what is a species is is about breedability, right? So if you have elves and humans, and elf and human can procreate to create a half elf. And then that half, half elf can then procreate with either human or an elf and get like a three quarters mix. Mm-hmm. Then that, that's all scientifically one species as, as that's defined. But then there's also this social construct of species that you would naturally build on top of that. Right. Yeah. And to some extent in the real world right now, we, we actually have that, right? Like people have this social construction of what it means to be human that is built on top of like the biological reality of being human and mm-hmm. like biological human features. It's just not very pronounced because there's really not that much to contrast it with at the moment. Like we don't have Neanderthals yeah. still walking among us or, or anything like that. So I don't know, but it, it kind of depends on what view you're taking. I guess when I say species, I mean usually something that is in some way biologically distinct from, from humans. Yeah, and in sci-fi and fantasy settings, there's almost always this, like, post-ethnic wonderland within different species, or they're just presented as, like, mono-ethnic. So, like, all the commentary on race relations gets shunted off into different species. But there's, like, two failure modes we're going to be talking about here, right? Yeah. One is where the fictional species are distinct from humans in some meaningful ways, and so the parallels to interracial prejudice in our world, they don't really always, like, work out cleanly. Or the other failure mode is that they're, like, basically just short or tall or green humans, and so there's just, like, a lot of lost potential in, like, what you could do with the setting instead of just mimicking all the Aesops on multiculturalism that you could get from just, like, reading history in our world or fiction set in our world Yeah. without really adding anything unique to it. Mm-hmm. You rarely get something like Practical Guide to Evil, which differentiates each species in a lot of ways that often, like, meaningfully impact the way they get along societally. Like, goblins and orcs, like, you know, like they'll eat not just the dead, but, like, even in battle, they might, like, start eating humans. This is, like, a source of tension when they're trying to live side by side with humans. And it also keeps, like, you know, ethnic divisions among humans, like, as a thing. Although, as I've mentioned before, it's usually much more focused on, like, different cultures rather than the actual, like, different ethnicities. Yeah, it's one of the things I think you need to, like, that distinction between species and race, I think that's something you need to be careful about or at least cognizant about because I think, uh, like, like when, when race was basically invented like race the the concept was invented a lot of it was justification for slavery right it was right, right. These, these people saying like there are there's this hierarchy of three races and these are all like distinct sensible scientific categories and that they are in this strict hierarchy and that justifies enslaving the, mm-hmm. the lower racial categories. Well, at the very least, having them be second-class citizens, right? Like, this goes back way before things like the transatlantic slave trade, which is what most people in modern times think of when they think of slavery. 
uh, or like biblical Egypt if you're Jewish. But when you look at race as a concept in Roman times, yeah, it's a lot of, hey, these other races with their barbarous cultures are inferior to us, which is why we should invade them and subjugate them and incorporate them into our empire as lower class citizens. I mean, Romans were equal opportunity slavers. They enslaved people from any country they conquered, regardless of race. But there were plenty of prejudices that were associated with people of different ethnicities. And so even slaves were valued higher or lower based on theirs. Yeah. Incidentally, there turns out to be very little archaeological evidence to support the biblical tale of Jewish slaves having an exodus from Egypt. It's actually kind of fascinating to dig into the how like various different historical events might have all morphed into the story that got written in the Old Testament. Yeah, and um, I, I have seen people who like don't, who are just doing fantasy, whatever, and they just kind of mimic that. And I think that's uh, that's an okay thing to do. It's just it can get a little questionable if you're like repeating back stuff that's uh not <laughs> repeating back basically like white supremacist talking points uh-huh. uh in in what you have chosen to do with species i think the same thing is true where a lot of people will use these different species as a stand-in for race in in, in of one kind or another right and take like real world racial stuff and slap it onto this species distinction which sometimes has a risk of not working at all or or like going counter to your point Mm x-men is i think a sometimes a good example of that where (laughs) well right because the x-men are a different you know they can interbreed with humans right so they're it's hard to say whether they're like a a new species they will sometimes use that language in the comics and stuff Mm -hmm. the the mutants who, who who do consider themselves superior to humans will clearly mark a distinction between themselves and humans Whereas the quote unquote good mutants tend to be more like inclusive or or not not want to use language that that makes them seem different from humans. Yeah, and depending on how on who the writer is, right? Sometimes they will bring in like arguments that that are are copied from real world race relations mm-hmm. that just do not apply to humans and and mutants, right? Yeah, they they yeah. also do that with um with like gender politics and sexuality and stuff. There's uh I think mm-hmm. X Men. It might be X-Men 1, but I, I think it's X-Men 2, where th- this Bobby, like Iceman or whatever, is sitting mm-hmm. down with his parents, and his mom is like, well, have you tried not being a mutant? Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be, like, a clever thing or, or like, reference to have you tried not being gay? Mm-hmm. Except that being mutant is substantially different in a number of key ways that make that comparison kind of nonsense. Like, the more you think about it, the less sense it makes. Right. The way so, so the the way I I took that was like, have you tried just not using your powers? Right. Right. So like in the in the analogous way of like just don't don't show your attraction to the to the same sex ever. Like just just never use your powers and try just being like a regular human. Which I don't know. I took that as like a I th- I thought I felt that was kind of a fair thing to ha- like. I could imagine a mother telling their their kid that in that circumstance, right? Especially if like the mutant powers are controllable but like one of the major issues is that like obviously they're not always controllable yeah so like so like the this this like service that xavier school is offering is, is strictly would hopefully be, be recognized as like strictly beneficial to the mutants themselves whereas like in the real world if you were to be like hey here's a school that'll help you not be a homosexual like i mean nowadays obviously we'd be very much like uh that's not <laughs> that's not kosher yeah it, it's it's a it's an analogy that the film is making and i it's just one line but the more the more you think about it the more you think that this is like not at all the same thing right Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit similar in they have like a plot line in 
X-Men 3 or whatever, where there's a cure for, for mm-hmm. mutantism. Yep. And it's like, well, that's such a, it's, it's such a weird thing that, that, that they're, they're taking all their cues from the real world and mm-hmm. real world issues and stuff and then mapping it onto mutants. And like, it doesn't work for me mostly because it's, it's like, well, yeah, you know, like Rogue actually does have like substantial problems in her life from mm-hmm. these powers that she can't control. And if you're, if you're trying to make these analogies, they just, they just break down completely and they don't, they don't work. <laughs> so I, that, that's my big thing with, with using species is, is think about the real world stuff. And if you're like, if you're trying to map, do, do a mapping, right. Of like mm-hmm. racism to speciesism, it's not going to hundred percent work. And you need to be very aware of that. And at the same time, you need to be aware of what mappings people could do from racism to speciesism that like, like, are you, are you talking about race here? Cause if you are, you should be a little more careful yeah. <laughs> about it. Like yeah. having, having always like this race of, of orcs that is always evil is kind of like, okay. So they're, they're like this degenerate race that you are morally justified in wiping out. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's kind of a, Kind of get a, gets a yikes from me mm-hmm. sometimes. Depends on it. Depends on like most things. It depends on um, execution. But it's one of the things that I think about. I do think that that concept is interesting. Yeah. Of having having a this separate species that is like fundamentally incompatible with your civilization, right? That it's. I, I think that that is an interesting concept to explore, but it. It just gets played very, very straight a lot of the time. Yeah, it's also problematic when when this is represented as like it's one thing to have like something like the Zerg, like a Zerg an analogy, Zerg XP, whatever you want to call it, like a like a, a monstrous, mindless, ravenous horde kind of race. It's harder to do when like the race is like sapient and like has like civilization and cities, family structure and stuff like that. But like you could still you could still do interesting things with it in that respect. But yeah, it it is it is very hard to take things from our world and not be sloppy when we, if we try to apply them to the fantasy setting. Uh, I think like when it comes to like the cure for, for mutantism, for example, I think there's, there's probably some people at least who that like indecision or that like, that like being of two minds with that, like, like rogue and, and like the feeling of like the others who felt like betrayed by her wanting that cure. I think that might have spoken to some people in the sense of like people who were just frustrated, not with, with like who they were necessarily, but like the social consequences of what they were and like how, mm-hmm. like how, how much easier it would have been to be able to just like somehow just get rid of all that if they, if they could. Yeah. And so like there's, there's a way to like have that conversation in the setting. But like, like you said before, like it, it kind of falls apart when you start to think about the actual consequences of like what makes these species different. Uh, and in, in the X-Men setting, this is like people can, blow apart entire buildings or like fly or become like become other people and like like fool people into thinking they're someone else and like psychically manipulate people and like all the fear that's irrationally aimed towards other races and sexualities in our world just looks a lot more justified when you really look at the at, at, at mutants in, in the x-men yeah you know like it's it's not to say that like the people who are like oh you know kill all mutants are right but it's like you you can't you can't paint them as just like these like evil crazy people when like I mean the Anita Blake series actually does this really well too where it's like vampires and werewolves and, and, and other supernatural creatures are like part of the modern society. 
and like they're citizens and so they've got like rights and everything too but like the law still recognizes that they're not human there's certain things about them that you can't you, you can't put them in prison it just doesn't work and so like unfortunately that means that there's like much harsher penalties for like them committing crimes and like it's not fair and the stories explore a lot of like how that's not fair sometimes but also like you see firsthand what happens if like like a, a magic practitioner like has an arrest warrant on them like it doesn't end well for the police you know like it's it, it's it's a very different kind of of xenophobia or or like framework for xenophobia to manifest in yeah uh it's yeah it's very interesting to me especially the the ways in which like shows and comics and books will take the the grammar of the mm-hmm. real world uh-huh. and and apply it is like the the X-Men will sometimes do these like mutant registration acts and they'll it feels like they're trying to convince you that especially with Magneto that this is equivalent to like a star of David right mm-hmm. to to these these markings that these governments are putting on people and it's like yeah. well okay but i kind of side with the government yeah, you yeah. know yeah like I I kind of side with the government just because of the nature of these mutant powers and we've seen their like destructive capabilities and the government's making like a good point here. So if you're, when you're trying to draw that analogy, that analogy doesn't, there's like this dissonance in that, in that analogy. Yeah. This irritated me in civil war also where like, I mean, obviously, obviously the civil war comics like were very different from the movie ones, but like in the movie civil war, like this, this argument was being made where, you know, half, half the cast was like, maybe the government should have more oversight and the other half wasn't. And, like, the easy answer that the movie chose, unfortunately, was just to be like, psych, the government's evil anyway, so obviously you don't, <laughs> you don't want them to... to You're right to resist them. But, like, in the real world, it's very unlikely that the majority of people uh, would not side with the idea of, like, people with superpowers having some form of regulation on them. Yeah. Heroes was another one. They had mm-hmm. um, They had a lot of, like, Guantanamo Bay imagery like detention center and 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 it just was like <laughs> it there's that same that that same dissonance is much more present when you have a setting that is basically the real world yeah, right yeah. and with just this you know superheroes especially i think i think that's a really bad match mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and if you want to talk about like prejudice and like racism and stuff you you just need to be more careful than a lot of properties have been in in approaching it right and more more like thoughtful and you need to know more about the real world i guess but yeah uh, the the same goes for fantasy as well it's just a little it's a little bit more acceptable in fantasy for reasons i'm not 100 percent clear on i think maybe that's just how fantasy has been but to to like do these these mappings or to have them there is kind of i don't know it's interesting because the original what I would say blueprint for the majority of uh, modern fantasy has much more stark differences. I think a lot of the times between uh, the races than most fantasy does. So like elves are, are maybe that's not true. I should, I'll, I'll put it this way. There's in, in the Lord of the Rings, there's not, there's not a lot of sense that there's any desire for them to intermingle. Yeah. The humans are just like off doing their own things. And like the elves are doing their own things and the dwarves are doing their own things. And, like, there's no real, like, sense of, like, a cosmopolitan or, or multicultural society trying to be formed in any in any corner of the Middle Earth. Yeah. There are much more stark differences mm-hmm. between them in, in Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. than I think you find in other in other places in fantasy. Although it's, it, you know, it's fantasy varies a lot, you know, especially in terms of how it treats those those core those core species. I, fantasy always uses the term race for that, which is, 
sometimes true. Like sometimes true in the sense that like you have half elves and stuff, mm-hmm. but is often like not true or like if there is any possible interbreeding, you just don't ever see it or it doesn't come up. Yeah, I've never I've never I've never seen a half dwarf in like any fantasy uh yeah. series ever. Um I know like some tabletops might use them maybe, but like I've I've never seen any story that, that uses a half dwarf. Which is, you know, it, I mean, it says, that says something about, like, aesthetic preferences that, of, of, like, the imagination of most fantasy writers. Yeah, like, outside of, like, things like your story and stuff, it, it's, there's, there's just too much of a sentiment where these races, these, 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 uh, this is, the word, the word has just become a different word than, than, like, I mean, we even say, like, the human race, like, in our world, yeah. when there's no other, there's no other species to compare us to, as other sapien species, I should say. But like, yeah, it, it's. I think it's a lot of it that becomes striking in, in in settings like the Witcher series, where there is there is still like a strong distinction between like the, the dwarves and the elves and the humans. But there's no particular reason they couldn't live together other than like culture. Yeah. And you get these like situations where, in modern fantasy games, particularly, I've noticed like humans are always like the racist dicks. Like the other the other races could be the other species could be could be racist also, but like. A specious, <laughs> damn it. Um, yeah. The other species could be specious too, but like the humans, the humans are like the stand-in, like standard, standard, uh, species most of the time. And so like the other, the other species tend to start getting treated as like second-class citizens in human, in human-centric, uh, stories. And like, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a case where like the elves, which are, which are naturally going to always be, like elves are never lesser than humans. They're either just like humans or they're better in every way. Uh, right? Or like, like there's, maybe they've got their like cultural flaws or whatever, but like, they're stronger, they're faster, they're better at magic, they're wiser, they live longer. And yet there's no story that I can think of where like the humans are just like the subjugated lowest species. Maybe that's part yeah. of the whole elves being wiser thing, I don't know. Um, usually it's because they're like, they're like, even in like Fractal Guide, the elves are, are like super xenophobic, the ones that are on, on the continent anyway that they're on. Uh, but they, but they all stick to like the, the forests and stuff, so like they don't, they don't, try to like conquer the other the other species. But you get so many examples then of humans treating elves and dwarves as like lesser beings. This has like weird, interesting consequences. Like I, I played Witcher 3 and like there's some like side quests where like you're you're going through a town and there's like three humans that want to like hang a dwarf or something for where they thought they were like working against the the country that they were in that was being invaded. And I, as the Witcher, like, you're supposed to be either, either, like, you know, I just hunt monsters, I don't get involved with, with mortal affairs, or, I'm sorry, I can't just let this go and, and, like, interfere to save the innocent person, right? So obviously me playing this game was like, I, I'm, I'm not gonna let you just, like, hang this person with no evidence that they, that they're a traitor, and, like, I killed the people who were going for the lynching. Probably the moral thing to do, maybe, three, you know, three lives for one, but they were trying to murder them. But then, like, later in the game, I'm in, like, a major city, and, like, there's these three elves, holding a human up against a wall in, like, the ghetto of the city and, like, accusing him of selling bad drugs to their children and, like, some of their kids have died because of it. The human was, like, saying this wasn't true. And, like, part of me almost just went, like, ah, fucking humans just, like, treating treating these minorities (laughs) like like shit again. But then I'm like, wait a second. Like, I went went back to them and I was like, do you guys have any evidence? And they're like, we don't need evidence. I'm like... God damn it. <laughs> so like I killed these elves to save the human and the human's like, thank you, Witcher. I'm like, just man, just get out of here. I don't, <laughs> I don't feel good about this. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's weird to think of like how easy it is to, to make a, 
to make one species the oppressor or like the the norm that through which the other ones become compared when if you imagine and like it's not that i can't imagine that happening if it was in the real world it's just that like it becomes harder to understand why the choice was made to make this make to make these species be the same in mm-hmm. and, and unless unless it was like unless the point is is to say like you know all sapient beings are, are equal which is i mean it's, it's a nice message but like you're having you're having speciesism and to stand in for racism in a game or world a story um and then having the species and races like be be fundamentally the same like it makes it makes for good moralistic argument but it doesn't necessarily it feels like it's lacking something in the way of what the what the potential to to do stories with different species could be yeah i i think that a lot of people when they do species uh really fall short i think that's that's the, the norm is to not do as much with it as you can and i'm not going to say should mm-hmm. but i tend to find it more interesting if people go kind of out there right mm-hmm. cuz cuz a lot of a lot of these stand-ins that people use, uh, Star Trek was notorious yeah, for this, yeah, yeah. where, where it, 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 every alien species, no, not every alien species, most alien species that they met were just some element of humanity, like heightened and then applied across the entire population, right? Like mm-hmm. the Ferengi are, are greedy and the Vulcans are, are logical and, and it, they were not, for the most part, substantially different in some super meaningful way right like they could have just been a different culture uh and that's that's fine that's it's not you know you can do that pretty successfully it just is if if you're already writing in like fantasy and science fiction you can do anything right you can go as far as you want to go and that to me that's that's the interesting stuff that's why i like sci-fi and fantasy it's not because it's it's not because it's someone talking about the real world mm-hmm. and real world stuff. It's like you can have, like you, you can, yeah. I, I would like to see. This is this also bothered me in 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 like in like games like World of Warcraft, for example, where like in in Warcraft three, like each orc unit was way stronger than each each human unit, like one to one ratio, right? Like you've got if you have an orc uh, melee unit, if I remember correctly, it would take like two footmen to to like beat it. Uh, because like the individual orc unit would, would, would beat the individual human unit. And like this was, this was like a, you know, this is like a simplification, but like it's, it's a way of demonstrating like, oh, orcs, orcs are stronger than humans are. Right? Mm-hmm. And then you play a game like World of Warcraft and like this is basically thrown out the window. Like orc, human, tauren, gnome even, which is just absurd. Uh, like, all, like all the strength levels could be basically equivalent. It's just entirely up to like what gear they have. And like you can be a gnome warrior and like tank it hits from i mean whatever it's a fantasy world like you, you can have humans tanking dragons like by themselves then obviously you can have a gnome do it if the, if the gear is magical enough but like the the idea that i'd like to see explored more is like what would it be like for these species to intermingle and have them actually be different like if the elves can actually like leap up buildings like on their own and their ability to be like i don't know we're in like ancient times so like like couriers that could like run the entire city without like running out of breath and like they have like all these like physical advantages over humans. Like 
even if they're the minority, like, what does that end up doing? Like, if you're going to have the humans be racist against the elves, like, have it be because they're, like, stealing their courier jobs or something. I don't know. Like, you know, yeah. like, like, there are ways you can do this and still, and still have these, these, like, moralistic arguments, but still just make it more interesting. Yeah, one of the things that I try to think about for Worth the Candle is there is so much variation. There, there's a lot of variation between mm-hmm. these species, right? And some of them need, like, special accommodation. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. the, and, one of the things that I try to do in in mundane situations, and doesn't always, it should probably be there more, but um, I, there are like probably a dozen cases of it where people will talk about how like things just need to be adjustable, right? Mm. Like you can't make a chair that's designed right, for right. a human. You you need to make a chair that's if you're going to accommodate everyone, you you need going to need to make a chair that can go up and down and, and you can like change basically everything about it to suit the needs of people. And like your tables need to have some kind of way of accommodating everyone. And there's, I've, I've read a fair amount of like disability literature, mm-hmm. right? Like people that talk about the importance of the Americans with disabilities act and some of what that was attempting to do. And like the sort of the philosophical approach behind that. And I try to bring some of that in and in other cases, just point out where it's not being followed, right? Like they go into a hotel and the dwarf of the party like can't see over the railing that's on the balcony, mm-hmm. which is not something that you would usually think about. I guess in a lot of fantasy, it's uh, the dwarves being short is like... It's like an easy joke, right, to, to make? It's, it's an easy joke rather than, rather than being more serious, I guess, mm-hmm. like as something that would affect a person's outlook on the society that they're in and like something that a a good society probably should accommodate Mm -hmm. for. But yeah, uh, in terms of like constructing a new species, if, if I'm thinking about that, I'm usually trying to think of what radical differences that I can make or what smaller differences I can make that would have a lot of interesting implications to them. Like humans are omnivores and you can just remove that, right? Like you can remove that and it has a lot of interesting implications for like how people view the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that one's an, a fairly easy one. Cause then you can just go like, look at what troubles do vegans have. Right. Yeah. And like we could potentially be doing the same issue, right. Where we're like, okay, so elves can only eat uh, non-meat or can only eat plants. And so now elves are like the vegans of their world. And like, we can do some like, meat-eating morality based on elves and humans as, like, vegan, modern vegans would be with. It would potentially fall into the same problem of, like, making the comparison not quite fit. Like, especially if, if in a world where, like, animal sapience is, like, much more clearly defined by, like, magical connections that, like, you know, animals and a species have, like, the idea of, of like, why don't they eat the the animals becomes, like, a much different question, right? And so, yeah. like, going back to, like, the, the Witcher series... Like if it's weird in, in, in this Witcher series to have people be so specious because these people just have like longer ears than them. And like in, other, in every other way, just are, are basically the same. But if yeah. like these people are, are also like pushing against meat eating in, in the human society and like trying to spread, you know, a, a, a less meat eating way of life, maybe the people who hate the, the elves are now like ranchers or something. It brings about conflict much more clearly and more for more like quote unquote justified reasons. Than just yeah. like these guys have long ears, so it's okay to sell poison drugs to their kids or something. Yeah, and and you can put like obligate vegans up against obligate carnivores, mm-hmm. 
which creates a source of tension that we don't have in the real world. Right. 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 Like then it's not so much about ethics necessarily. I mean, people would probably view it through that lens, right? Like the people who just eat plants might feel morally superior for that. And then, you know, the people who eat meat are just like, that's not like proof that they are a bad species or something, but, but you can attack these, you can attack it from these, these odd angles that aren't, that aren't necessarily like an allegory or uh, like a parody or, or anything like that. That's yeah. one of the things. Yeah. If I find myself when creating species going in the direction of, of strict allegory, I will usually shy away from that. Mm. I usually want it to be more like fundamental thing. There was one I was thinking about. So I was writing, I was writing something that's not like related towards the candle, but I was thinking about mm. how humans are, they're, they're not quite unique, but human females don't go into heat mm-hmm. like other, like it's, it's so like ovulation is hidden in humans. And that's one of the things that makes us fairly unique among animals. And I was thinking about like a sapient species that did that and how their society would necessarily like be different and yep. come into conflict with a human society over either misunderstandings or even if you do have an understanding like like having one set of laws that applies to everyone or like trying to come to equality or something like that over something that's a fundamental difference in first of all biology which then has like knock-on effects for society and culture and things like that there are there are a lot of different species in worth a candle there are um <laughs> there i i the list is is 200 i don't think they're all in my world building document some some of them are just you know elves or dwarves or whatever and they're mm-hmm. my own take on it and whatever that's but other times there it's like the ranu are species who split apart and they instead of breeding at all mm-hmm. and each takes like half of the like memories or and skills and to some extent personality of the original and they like would have a different society because of that and like you'd have a relationship with this person who is on the other side of the split and all this stuff would be different and then on top of all that stuff that's different you have to interact with this, this multicultural multi-species society that yeah. is trying to accommodate everyone and especially with 200 species you also have to think about you know if there's a like humans and dwarves are are the majority of those species and so like if you're living in a big city you might be the first of your species that someone else gets to know yeah, right yeah and they wouldn't necessarily be educated on you know all 200 species that's a, that's kind of a lot mm-hmm for like a person to be fully knowledgeable on. And so like navigating that world then becomes very different and it does have analogies to the real world, right? Like a lot, like a lot of obvious and maybe some not so obvious analogies to the real world, but it's not really about that. It's, it's kind of more speaking to underlying truths about existence, I guess in ways that, that I really like. Yeah. Something, something I want to stress is like, it's not that we're saying that you can't have, fictional stories especially speculative fictional stories that quote-unquote just reflect like modern uh moralistic like conflicts or 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 issues like it's it's more about just like if you're going to do that making sure that it makes sense on the first hand on the one hand and on the other thinking about ways to, to 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 have more complex more interesting dynamics that you can't you that you won't see in the real world yeah and 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 this and this always comes around to living together like 
if the species are, are more or less apart, like, it, it, then a lot of speciesism just becomes, like, obvious for reasons of, like, you know, you don't trust them, or, like, there's ancient like, grudges, or, like, you don't know really what they are, and, like, like you were saying, like, if you meet someone for the first time of a different species, like, for the human one, like, maybe a species, all they've heard about humans is that, like, their women uh, don't have, like, a, uh, don't go into heat. And then, like, they just either assume that all human women they meet are always in heat, or they assume that all women human human women they meet are never in heat, or something like that. Like, they don't know how to, they legitimately don't know how to interact with human women, because they are unsure, like, if they're being flirted with or not. And, like, yeah, there are ways to make that a interesting dynamic that, that has real-life implications, but also it could just be an interesting dynamic that you could explore on its, for its own sake. Yeah, I, I, I do like exploring things for their own sake. I like I like thinking about things that we really take for granted mm-hmm. about our existence and just like tearing them apart and trying to think in terms of what the consequences of those are. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's much harder... Like the physical stuff, I think is easier. I think it, when you start taking psychology into account, that's that's a lot more difficult because you have to be like, okay, like what if you couldn't lie, or like, or like what if you if you had like these different structures of thought, and you still have to model them, which is part of what makes them so hard. But then to to like try to think through all the places where this alteration would would impact like society and culture and interpersonal relationships and stuff that's it gets difficult in a hurry yeah mode switching is one i i like a lot i think i think i have like two species north the candle that have some some variety of mode switching where they sort of become psychologically different not not like to the extent they're like a different person but i think it was kind of pulled from me thinking about computer programming and being in like a totally different mm-hmm. focused headspace. And like, if you could switch in and out of that more at will or more to like a greater extent, like how that would impact your relationships with other people. Cause people just have to be like, okay, like he is kind of temporarily a different person. And like the norms you would have to develop around that are, mm-hmm. are, are interesting to me. But yeah, psychological, psychological changes I think are, are harder to, harder to develop they're harder to think about they're harder to they're harder to map but i think that effort will usually pay off if you you know in, in terms of execution but yeah the, the physical stuff is a little easier because then it, i think i think especially if reading disability literature is is good for that it's like a good background yeah. of understanding how uh, understanding what's basically at the end of the bell curve of human variation and or or like the these like fundamental things that we just don't that we don't think about especially in terms of how the world we've created around us is designed i very often go to the ada and mm-hmm. for, for worth the candle especially because the, it, it in theory it, it's not it's not practical for them to actually do that to ab- actually accommodate you know 200 plus species because yeah. some of the requirements that I personally built into some of these species are like, okay, you can't like, they can't, they literally can't breathe outside of water or something. Yeah. You can't breathe outside water or you need it to be like, you you can't withstand heats above like Mm -hmm. 50 degrees Fahrenheit, or you can't be outside in the sun for more than like eight hours in the day or you'll die. Oh, wait, wait is another one. I don't, I don't remember if it specifically showed up in worth a candle, but like the idea of certain species just like, 
naturally weighing two to three times as much as humans do makes like certain chairs just like un- impractical or like things that have are meant to support their weight just wouldn't work nearly as well. Like a lot of beds would wouldn't work out nearly as well. Yeah, you just like sink down way too much into into it, and yeah. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of like super interesting stuff that comes from that. It's like you need different designs on your boats and mm-hmm. like maybe you just can't do a river crossing yep. and so the people of this one species they they have to find a, this different route around and then then a town for them pops up because there's demand for it from them and you mm-hmm. have all these all these neat stuff that follows from it yeah and it it is one of those things that in most fiction you will get the throwaway gag for it mm-hmm. like someone gets in a car and the car kind of sags visibly <laughs> And then they drive off and it's never mentioned or yeah. like brought up again. And uh, that's fine. That's fine. I just, it's not, I, ideally if I were going to do it, I would, I would do more thinky stuff with it. Yeah. Imagining a modern fantasy series, so much of what we take for granted being built for human sizes and weights, like would have to be re- reimagined, like not just doorways, but like, like if orcs ne- like regularly weigh 600 pounds, let's say. Interesting situation going on with like, them trying to get on planes and like seating and like how like the entire idea of like economy seating just doesn't work if like people are just of different sizes and stuff yeah and would they sell tickets to humans like could they like pack three humans into one seat like i don't know it's it's i'm interested in stuff like that it just shows up so rarely in fantasy yeah and like different costs of living too Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. one that's i not sure I've done in Worth the Candle, but something I often put in my D&D campaigns that it is cheaper to be a gnome mm-hmm. or a halfling because you need less like material resources and you need less physical space. Like you get the same amount basically out of a smaller physical space. So like your houses are cheaper and all like you have less food to eat. And if you go in saying that halflings and gnomes are are basically equivalent to humans mm-hmm. in terms of like personality and intellect and whatever else it's like, then yeah, halflings can outcompete humans for, especially for intellectual jobs, mm-hmm. right? That, that if you can do, you know, that, that is not the case in um, an economy that depends on like physical labor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which humans would presumably be better at, but for things like, uh, like an accountant, right? You're, Halfling accountant can undercut your human accountant, and depending on how long your history is, that like <laughs> that that dominance in intellectual fields or that the the economics of that can change your whole society. Yeah. Depending on like the populations in question and and how long they've been doing that and whether that's actually true or whatever. And there's an easy patch on this, by the way, which is just like oh, uh, halflings like naturally feel claustrophobic if they don't have like the same roughly the same amount of space as humans do to live or like their metabolism works twice as fast they eat like the same amount that humans do but like that stuff that like it's that stuff gets like really annoying like really quick yeah. if, it, if you start to do stuff like that it, it it annoys me to have an interesting implication that gets patched out yeah but a lot of people do it and yeah. there, there are good reasons to do it because then you don't have to deal with all the stuff that you might not necessarily care about maybe you care about the aesthetics of gnomes more than you care about right the reality of them i guess but oh uh the one the last big one i wanted to talk about was age Mm -hmm. very very common to have a species that is incredibly long-lived has a lot of interesting implications i think that one gets gone over generally better 
than than some of the other stuff. Like people are less likely to mm-hmm. to flub that or to just be like, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter, and and just write them exactly like humans. But it, it I mean, it varies in execution. Yeah, I, I I've still yet to see a story of like, you know, a person who's like living with their great 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 grandkids. There's the whole thing where like long-lived species tend to have less children, so that way the population doesn't like overrun the other species, and like short-lived species uh, tend to have more children or something, and like you'd imagine there would be like a a, a family friend who who's lived for, like 300 years, and like a, a human a human family right has like had like four generations of like a family friend that's like lived for like 300 years, and like everyone just like knows this person because like why wouldn't they? They're like you know he was best friends with like the, the great great grandparents and like has continued to have an interest in the family afterward. Yeah. Because he was just there for like each each generation growing up and like things like that I think is like underserved because it's just there's a lot of interesting like especially in a pre-technological society you get you get like storytellers that can that can that were like actually around this happens this happens sometimes when like like in, in your story like raven for example is like an example of this but like there's a, there's there's very rare people who are, who are mortals who are close to it who can like be like oh shit they were actually around for like the second empire and stuff but like for 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 good reason it's hard for these people to like integrate with, with normal society and so like i want to know like what it's like for this person who's like deciding to continue to stay friends with like this this family's descendants and, and stuff like that it's just for whatever reason, it just doesn't become the focus of stories very often, I guess. Yeah. It could just be like a drama. It could be like an entire just drama story about like this this one guy and like his friendship with a human family and and their descendants. It doesn't have to be like a you know action fantasy story, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably all I have. Mm-hmm. Did you watch uh, Beastars? Do you know this? I haven't watched it yet. It does. It, there's 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 a lot. It's okay, and it was enjoyable, but like. There's a lot of stuff like this where, like, you get, like, the society div- divided between carnivores and herbivores, right? And, like, it's not just that. Like, the, the different animals are, like, different sizes. And, like, some of them are fish people and some of them are bird people. And, like, they can like the bird people can fly. And, like, so many questions about how the society works that none of them get answered. Like, the entire thing is really just focused on the, on the herbivore-carnivore divide. Which is interesting. It, it does okay with it. But, like, it's still it's just still so much more they could have gone into. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of what I find interesting in this, how close to normal is the protagonist, right? Like, like how much, how how much the the human as the baseline works, as work, how much work the human as the baseline does for, for stories like this, as compared to having a protagonist that's one of these very different species. Yeah. Yeah. Zootopia, I I know is is one of the mm-hmm. comparisons that gets made to yep. to that show a lot, and Zootopia does put a little bit of thought into it, but like. Raises a lot yeah. of questions. A lot of questions that to, some are like answered or given like implicit answers. It's it's funny that they've got cars and they've got elephant people and the elephant people are huge. It's like, do they do they just not drive anywhere? Like how do they get anywhere? They don't fit in any of the vehicles I've seen in that movie. Yeah. That well, what what's very interesting is so the in in the beginning the fox mm-hmm. is running this con basically where he buys a big giant popsicle mm-hmm. in like the the part of the town for bigger people and then he like repackages it and resells it to these hamster things yep. and you're like well why is it why is that profitable <laughs> for him you know why why is that like first is that illegal it seems to be illegal i mean it's like a health and safety thing sure but like how how is he making a profit there are are elephants subsidized by hamsters or right 
it raises it raises a lot of questions that the movie did not have very much interest in in addressing. <laughs> For obvious reasons, like it's yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a kids movie. I don't I don't expect it to, but yeah, it's those aspects of like sensory input too, which becomes like a a thing where I start to think about if those animal people or people that are that have animal features or or even just like some species that are better at sensing things than others, like you can have like apartment buildings, right, and like a person in an apartment building surrounded by other apartments, like. Can, they, they can probably hear, if they can hear very well, they can hear everything going on in all the apartments around them, right? So that can be, like, potentially either, like, a privacy issue or, like, it's problematic because, like, they can't get any sleep or, like, just a lot of, there's a lot of different ways that this, this kind of thing can, can come up and I could think about it forever and I could read about it forever, but it just very yeah. rarely shows up in stories. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think, I think that's all. Is there any, uh, I mean, in terms of, like, stories that do different species really well, let's see. A Fire Upon the Deep is is really good sci-fi in general, but also like has one of the most most interesting alien races I've ever, I've ever encountered. It has quite a few of them actually, but like the one that's most explored is one I'm thinking. Yeah, of. yeah, yeah. Uh, and and A Deepness in the Sky, which is the other. Yeah, yeah. Has the spiders that are they're they're humanized, mm-hmm. but it, they, there's very, some very interesting stuff about their like their life cycle and their societal relations with it, and like. One of the things I love in sci-fi and fantasy is when some people find something like really abhorrent that's that we have like no context for. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. my god, you're violating this this norm that we have, this really closely held norm, and I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess you could have that norm, yeah. Yeah. The Ender's Game series. Uh, all, I mean, I, I keep getting surprised by finding out that there are people who've read Ender's Game but didn't read the sequels, but like. The Ender's Game series, in specific, like Speaker for the Dead and, and the sequels to that, Xenocide and Children of the Mind, do they do alien races pretty well? They do they do like yeah. first contact and, and the implications and consequences of that pretty well. And they also do this good. They they did they introduce like this classification system of like aliens that you could potentially become friends with, aliens that like you couldn't even communicate with, and so like there's no chance of of cooperation and like the the implications of that are. are so slightly somewhat explored. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, fantasy stories, like, honestly, other than yours, like, it's hard for me to think of, of one that does this really well. Like, Practical Guide to Evil, like I said, has some, some aspects of it that's really good, but it's not, it's not like a big focus of the story. And cultures are, are way more important than, than species. Yeah. Like, like, the dwarves are, are very different from humans in, in Practical Guide, but like, the dwarven culture is, is much more important than the dif- in, in difference than, than the, the dwarven race. Yeah. Yeah, it's something I really enjoy. I really enjoy different species. I don't. I, I my one complaint. I, I have a couple complaints <laughs> about writing working candle, but I don't think that I get to do it enough because mm-hmm. it's like two, like the two main characters mm-hmm. are both humans, which is not right. That limits how much room there is to to explore. So, so I I think that's one of the things I think about when I think about what my next project will be is mm-hmm. is just leaving myself more room to play with stuff. Yeah. Oh, also, yeah. I mean, anyone who hasn't read Animorphs the Reckoning, like, I don't want to spoil yeah. anything, but, like, in terms of doing Alien Race as well, like, Animorphs the Reckoning is fantastic. Yeah. I think that's it for recommendations for me. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's, uh, Nismarqui, maybe? Anyway, he writes Onward to Providence. Uh, let me, let me check. I, I, I've always seen his name and I've never known how to pronounce it and it's, it never comes up because it's just a guy I know that on... Nismarkuls? It looks like an L, so... 
Markles? Okay, sure. <laughs> uh, but he he writes a lot of xenofiction, uh-huh. which is the proper name for it. But he and a lot of it's quite good. It's it's a very um kind of out there approach to to doing other species. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of this, a lot of people who have like who are non neurotypical are really drawn to it to like uh to xenofiction in mm-hmm. general because it's like. They can't identify as much with the humans, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I find interesting. I've, I've talked to quite a few people who like that kind of stuff, and there's not that much out there. And, you know, they'd rather read about about these other species that they could, you know, project into a little more easily than just. Yeah, I imagine also the, the, the experience of if they take the experience of the, of the alien species or, or the fantasy species uh, interacting with humans. There's probably a lot a lot of sympathy there. Yeah. All right. I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, next is probably going to be gender. Yep, probably gender. Cool. Uh, stay tuned. Have a good whatever you have. And <laughs>